beloved. Welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's the end of the week show. It's one of my favorite shows. This is going to be fun. We're going to have a good time tonight, okay? Got a lot of ground to cover. I got some videos. I got some videos of people saying stupid stuff, <laughs> which we're about to see in a little while. And videos of people just doing heartwarming things to make the joy in you rise up. Because that's my goal, is to make your joy wake up and run around in your heart. It's going to be an amazing show tonight. We're going to do some headlines. We're going to do some of the best things that I've seen all week. And we're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. I'm going to fit it all in. Watch me do this, people. Take your shoes off. Get you some pie, something to drink, and let's get cracking. Crack-a-lacking. That's what we used to say in Harlem. Crack-a-lack. Anyway, highly play the bumper. <laughs> all right, everybody. My earpiece is falling out of my ear. But all right, everybody, you know that the summer is coming to an end when you can go to Starbucks and you can get a pumpkin spice latte. If you ever wanted to know if the summer was coming to an end, as soon as you go into Starbucks and you see the pumpkin spice latte, you know the summer's coming to an end. And, 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 you know the fall is about to start when you see it. And so now you can go into Starbucks and see pumpkin spice lattes all over the place. And let me just warn you, when you go in this time, you're going to pay a little more for it, okay? The, the, the price you remember is not the price you're going to pay this time because they've gone up about 4%, okay? Now, Starbucks has sold about 600 million of these drinks. That's a lot of drinks, right? They, Starbucks has sold 600 million pumpkin spice lattes. But I don't care about that. And the price has gone up 4%, and I don't care about that either. I'm only doing this story for an entirely different reason, okay? Because where I'm about to go, you might not see this coming. So pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks again. And here's what I know for sure. We are all God's children, right? Aren't we, two, three? God cares about all of us. We are all human beings. We all deserve the right for freedom, justice, equality. We deserve clean air and clean water, right, two, three? We deserve to have three meals a day, education and culture for our minds, freedom and dignity for our souls, okay? We are all human beings. We're all part of the human family. Nobody's better, nobody's worse. Everybody is what they happens to be, and it's a great thing. I'm only saying that because I'm about to get racial. <laughs> and I don't want you to think I'm a racist because I'm not, okay? We're all God's children. God loves all of us, and I struggle to do the same. But let me just say one thing. There are some differences between the sons and daughters of Europe. There are differences between the sons and daughters of Europe and the sons and daughters of Africa. Okay? There are some differences. Difference number one. You ever been to a white church? You ever been to a black church? They ain't the same in most cases. Now, there are some rare cases where they are similar in some way. But you go to a black church and a white church, they are mo in most cases they are not the same. Okay? Episcopalians are the chosen frozen. They just sit there and I don't know what they're doing there. They're half sleep. You go to a neat old neo-Pentecostal church, Church of God in Christ, ain't no sleeping. Huh? So, yes, there are differences between Europeans and Africans, people of European descent and African descent. And here's another difference. Pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> because black people tend not to mess around with anything pumpkin. 
we tend not, and of course, this doesn't apply to everybody, of course, but in most cases, black folks don't mess around with pumpkin, okay? Black people don't want anything pumpkin related, pumpkin adjacent, pumpkin flavored, or downright pumpkin. That ain't our thing. So those 600 million pumpkin spice lattes that Starbucks sold, I guarantee you 90% of them were sold to white folks or other folks, but not to black folks. Because we don't do the pumpkin, man. If you go to a white family's Thanksgiving and it's a wonderful meal and everybody's having a good time and family and all that and you've been invited over and you're there, they're going to have some pumpkin pie. They're going to have some pumpkin butternut squash, squash right? They're going to have some pumpkin cake. Because, you know, white folks, Thanksgiving fall pumpkin. You go to a black family's Thanksgiving or Christmas, ain't going to be no pumpkin nowhere because we are sweet potato people. Come on, y'all. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. We're going to have some sweet potato squash. We're going to have some sweet potato pie, sweet potato whatever. Ain't going to be no pumpkins, though. <laughs> and I just have to admit, I'm not a pumpkin guy. I'm never buying a pumpkin spice latte, ever. The, the, the taste don't jive with me, man. It just, I, I don't get it. I don't know why y'all like that stuff. Pumpkins do not taste good, okay? They're great to be jack-o'-lanterns, but I, I'm not eating no pumpkin stuff. So... Let me just say this. There are differences between what white folks like and, and eat and drink and what black folks like and eat and drink. And that's okay, because we're not supposed to be the same, okay? You like your pumpkin, I like my sweet potato. And how about we let each other enjoy exactly what we like? Revolutionary idea, people. Let's move on. Let's talk about us, Senator Lindsey Graham who this week said something that is just asinine in a way that I can't wait to express to you. So before I jump on his neck, let's watch this clip. I'll say this. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. I'll say this. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump... <laughs> <sighs> You know, I can't believe they paid me to jump on people like I'm about to do. But I'm so glad that they do. Lindsey Graham, who has never been a man of conviction nor a man of great eloquence, has come together in those two streams to create a soundbite that is beneath even his standard of incompetence and inarticulation. He wants us to believe that if Donald Trump is indicted or convicted or goes to jail for breaking the law, that nobody should, you know, endeavor to put him in jail or to indict him because we should be afraid of his followers. We should be afraid of the people who are going to ride in the streets and they may try to overthrow another building. And so based upon the fear of Donald Trump's followers, Lindsey Graham wants us to believe that Donald Trump should not be indicted. Out of fear, we should fear them so much that, of course, we shouldn't indict Donald Trump. Okay. So he wants the justice system to be intimidated by the followers of Donald, Donald Trump. Now, this is interesting to me, okay, because this is exactly why people are not indicted in third world countries. When you live in a third world country and you break the law and you're the leader, you, you, don't, you probably won't get, in, in some cases anyway, you don't get indicted because you don't want to deal with the military and you don't want to deal with the followers and all of that storming the streets. So you go, hey, you know what, we just let you do that. 
But in this country, that's not how it works. If you break the law, you get indicted. And if you get indicted, you go to trial. You get go to trial, you get convicted. You get convicted, you go to jail, and your followers be damned. Nobody's deciding whether or not you should go to jail or be indicted based upon what the people that like you will do. When did that become the standard for anything? Are you people with me? So is this where we're headed? Are we headed to the place where we're not going to indict people if their followers will act up? That's what Lindsey Graham is saying. He's a senator. He's sitting in the Senate. Numbnuts in South Carolina elected this man to sit in the Senate, and this is what comes out of his mouth. Now, I, found, I found this very interesting. You ready? Because we're about to take a left. You ready for me? Come on, get ready. I found this interesting because America didn't care about the followers of Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton when America put them in jail. Huh? <laughs> no. I mean, who got up and said, oh, no, we can't, we can't put Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton in jail because the Black Panthers may act. America didn't give a damn. No. Put them in jail. Did America care about the followers of Angela Davis when America put Angela Davis in jail? Did the criminal justice system say, oh, no, no, we might not be able to do this because Angela's followers may act up? And the Panthers were carrying guns, by the way. No, the criminal justice system did not care at all. I got one more for you. When the, when the Chicago Police Department burst into the bedroom of Fred Hampton and murdered him while he was sleeping in his bed, while he, let me say it again, murdered him while he was sleeping in his bed, did they care at all about the response of the Black Panthers and the response of the people that loved him and supported him, his so-called father? No, they didn't care. Absolutely not. So if America didn't care in the case of Bobby Seale and, 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 and Huey P. Newton and Angela Davis and Fred Hampton, huh? I got one more for you. If America didn't care about, or the criminal justice system didn't care about what the supporters and friends of Breonna Taylor would do, huh? Then why all of a sudden are we caring about that when it comes to Donald Trump? Let's just be clear, people. I'm going to say it on this show every chance I get. If Donald Trump broke the law, he should be held accountable. He should be put where he belongs. He should be put where everybody else has to go if you blatantly, wantonly break the law, unrepentantly break the law. And if his followers want to act up, then they should follow him right into the jail cell where he's going to be. Well, this whole notion of being afraid and intimidated by people about what you're afraid of what people might do so much so that you're willing to ignore what Donald Trump has done. It's a concocted logic that belongs somewhere else. Lindsey Graham should be ashamed of himself. And anybody who wants to follow Donald Trump and act up in the street, then guess what? Go on and get arrested. But I got something to tell y'all, OK? And I don't advocate violence, OK? I'm not a violent guy. I don't advocate violence. But here's the thing you always got to remember about the government of the United States of America. You ready for this? You may have guns, but they got more bullets. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. It's just, anyway, let's talk about Mikhail Gorbachev, who died this week, the former Russian leader from 1985 to uh, 1981, rather, to 1985, died 1985 to 1991, sorry, died at the age of... 91. Apparently, he died of a long uh, 
time illness that he uh, suffered through, and he's credited, at least in most cases, with introducing key, key political reforms to the Soviet Union. Gorbachev oversaw the Soviet system, and, and he ultimately decided that the system was not sustainable, and he sought to give, you know, re reforms to try to bring the system and to bring the country into some sense of moder modernity with respect to politics and economics and all of that. Now, here's where I want to pick up the story. <laughs> because you guys know I'm not just indiscriminately talking about Mikhail Gorbachev. I'm talking about Mikhail Gorbachev because now that we have Vladimir Putin, Mikhail Gorbachev looks a whole lot different, doesn't he? See, back in the day when Mikhail Gorbachev was head of the Soviet Union, we thought he was the leader of the evil empire. We thought he was one of the worst of the worst of the leaders. And oh, my God, Mikhail Gorbachev. And then Vladimir Putin showed up and showed us what evil really looks like. And I just wanted to do this story for everybody out there who has somebody in your life and you're complaining about them. Oh, they don't do this. They don't take out the garbage. And the, 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 the. the reality is sometimes you don't know what you have until something worse shows up. Huh? Mikhail Gorbachev looks like, so, looks like a reasonable, thoughtful leader compared to Vladimir Putin, who is a murderer, <laughs> a thug and a dictator. Yeah, some, see, sometimes, sometimes the only way you know that you were really blessed is to have somebody show up who'd like to kill you. <laughs> and then you begin to realize, you know what, Johnny wasn't that bad. Susie wasn't that terrible. Yeah. Everybody out there complaining about somebody in your life and you don't like this about them. And that. Let me tell you, it could be a whole lot worse. Don't you ever get to the place where you disrespect and don't honor what you have because life has a way of making you honor it. And the way that life will make you honor it is to bring something else into your life that really shows you you got it a lot better than you think you do. Are you with me so far, people? <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. See, sometimes the only way to know the value of something is to compare it to something else. Yeah. Sometimes the only way to know that you got something you should be holding on to is to let somebody come along who drains all your life and ruins all your, all your vitality. And then you start to say, in most cases, too late. I should have honored what I had. I should have appreciated what I had. Because Mikhail Gorbachev is a hell of a lot better than Vladimir Putin. How about this? How about we just learn how to value what we have and love it and appreciate it and see the good in it while it's still in our lives? How about we don't put ourselves in a position where life has to train us, teach us, open our eyes and make us grateful the hard way? How about we just decide to be grateful for what we have as we have it and we celebrate it and we don't let anybody else try to convince us to do otherwise? See, there are people who would pray for the things that you complain about. There are people right now who would love to have the man that you're disrespecting. There are people in the world who would love to have the woman that you won't commit to. There are people right now who would give their right arm to drive the car that you're ashamed of or to live in the apartment that you don't want any, anybody to come over and see because you don't think it's all nice and fancy. There are people in the world who would literally Walk a hundred miles just to have half of the things that you're complaining about. So how about we stop complaining? There's a thought. How about we stop complaining? And how about we start giving thanks for what we have in the moment and who's there with us? Because don't make life teach you the hard way. Huh? <laughs> 
You don't want Vladimir Putin to come along. Anyway, let's take a break. We're just getting started. We'll be right back, people. Welcome back, everybody. So all of us, most of us, have probably heard by now of what's going on with water in Jackson, Mississippi, with respect to the fact that uh, the city of Jackson does not have and cannot expect in the foreseeable future uh, the possibility of having reliable drinking water after the city's main water treatment plant failed on Monday. And I know a lot of people are sending water to Jackson, and shout out to all of you who are doing that. The state has issued a state of emergency for Jackson and has activated the Mississippi National Guard. 180,000 people have been issued drinking and not drinking water. Um, and the governor uh, is committed to keeping people updated on what's going on as it relates to um, the possibility of water. And the governor said literally that the people of Jackson should not expect to have drinking water in the foreseeable future. And that there's not enough water to flush toilets, and that there's not enough water, obviously, uh, to put out fires. So you can't drink the water, you can't shower in the water, you can't uh, flush your toilet, and you can't fight fires. Jackson, Mississippi's in trouble. I think all of us need to really consider what's going on there, prayerfully as we pray for the people of Jackson, but also politically as we ask each other the most important question, that is, how did we get to this point, Okay. Somebody needs to explain to me, how do you live in the United States of America and you can't have clean water? This ain't the first time it's happened in this country, right? We all have heard, have heard of Flint. And there are other cities in the country where this happened as well. Now it's happening in Jackson. America's the only place where you can have first-class prisons, second-class schools, and third-world water. It's the only place in the world where you can have those, those three dynamics at play in the same country at the same time. First-class prisons, second-class schools, third-world water. Now, here we go with Jackson. And, and here's what I want to know, okay? Because I know you thought about this, too. You thought this when you heard this story, and I thought it. I'm just going to say it, and we'll all say amen together. I'm trying to figure out why a city would only have one water treatment plant. Why is that the case? Why does, why does a city only have one water treatment plant? And for every city out there watching, if you're a mayor or a governor watching this show right now, and you only have one water treatment plant in your city, you should probably start building another one right now. At the end of this show, don't do it now because I need you viewing. <laughs> but at the end of the show, you ought to get on the phone with whoever you get on the phone with and start building. How do you only have one water treatment plant? Here's the question. What if the one water treatment plant that we have fails? What if it blows up? What if somebody comes and put marijuana in the water? That made him happy. Well, well I mean, what happens? You, you don't have any water. So you should probably have more than one water treatment plant, people. But here's why I wanted to do this story. Not just to talk about what's happening in Jackson, but to sort of sound the alarm with all of us. Because black folks, we don't really talk about climate change, you know? We don't. We don't. We, I'm not saying no black people talk about it. Yes, obviously there are some. But writ large across the culture, you don't see a lot of black people talking about climate change. You don't see black celebrities and black social influencers and athletes and, and movie stars. No, we, we tend not to talk about this. But I'm telling you, let Jackson, Mississippi be a bellwether, be a warning, be a caveat for all of us to consider the possibility that the absence of water 
is something a lot of American cities might have to deal with, especially if you live in the West, especially if you live in California, especially if you live in Southern California, which already been reported that our reservoirs are drying up. So what is Los Angeles going to do, San Diego going to do? What is Phoenix going to do and Las Vegas going to do when we run out of water? And it ain't because the water treatment plant, you know, had a boo-boo or something's happened to that. It failed. It's because there is no water to treat. I'm just saying we need to start thinking about this. Don't you think so? Don't you agree with this? I'm just saying. So we crying over Jackson and we want to help Jackson. We praying for Jackson. But my Bible say we might need to start praying for ourselves. You hear me? Because water's drying up in this country. And if it ain't drying up, we don't even know how to treat it. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's talk about this. Now, this story, this story, I don't have a lot of answers for, okay? I'm going to ask more questions than I'm going to answer. And I know I spend most of my time on this show answering people's questions. But this is a tough one. And here it is. So 1997, at the age of 14, Michael Carneal decided to shoot up his Kentucky high school. And three children died and five children were wounded. Michael pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 25 years. And guess what? Next month, Michael will face a parole board and be given the chance to completely walk free. And while I'm all for forgiveness, okay? You guys know I'm all for forgiveness. I'm all, let me just say it again. I'm all for forgiveness. I just happen to believe that if you shoot up a school and kill some children, you should not get to just walk out like nothing happened. Okay? Normally, that's my disposition. You kill some kids, and you need to pay for that. But my problem with this is, he was 14 years old. It wasn't like he was 27 or 21 or 35 or 50 or whatever. He was 14 years old when he made this horrible decision. And again, part of me still believes, I don't care if you're 14, 4, or 40, if you kill some kids, your behind should be in jail. And then the other part of me says, well, is it right to condemn a kid for the rest of his life for a mistake that he made when he was 14, not fully developed, not morally centered, not grounded, not mature, his brain not even developed? And that's the dilemma that I have with this story. And that's why I wanted to ask you, so what do y'all think? Do you think that this guy should be paroled and allowed to leave jail or should he be held accountable for the rest of his life for the three kids that he killed at his high school and the, and the five others that he wounded? And if you had to make the decision, if you were the parole board, I'm really asking you this question. If you were the parole board, what would you do? Tell me in the chat, what would you do? Would you let him walk out of jail? Understanding he was 14 years old and made a tragic mistake. He spent 25 years in jail. Or would you say, Mike, you ain't going nowhere. You killed three kids and wound five others. You need to pay for that for the rest of your life. See, here's my dilemma. As a moral thinker, as a thought leader, I do believe that we ought to have forgiveness and we ought to have a place for people to reform and make themselves better. But if I was the parent of one of these kids, I would want Michael to be in jail until Jesus comes back. And then when Jesus got here, I would want Michael to go to hell. Tell me, you don't, tell me you don't feel the same way. Tell me you feel any way different. 
or you would feel any way different if you were the parents of one of these dead kids. I don't know what should happen here. This is a very difficult decision because we're talking about a kid who made a horrible mistake, who is no longer a kid now, been in jail for 25 years. How do you balance forgiveness with accountability? Maybe, maybe, maybe forgiveness has already happened in this case. And here's how. Maybe forgiveness happened when they didn't kill Michael, didn't sentence him to the death penalty. Because if you kill three kids and wound five others, you are more than eligible to have your life taken from you, especially in Kentucky. Maybe forgiveness happened when they didn't kill the young man and sentence him to spend the rest of his life in jail. I don't know, but I'd love to hear what you think about it. Because these are the kind of moral questions that'll keep you up at night. You see? Not should I cheat or shouldn't I cheat. That's not a moral question. <laughs> that ain't a moral question. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Here's my last form before I take this break. And I've been looking forward to this one. Lean in, people. We're about to have a good time on this. So I heard a lot of people complaining about Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness program, running around telling other people in, in the presence of my hearing, Joe Biden didn't do enough. He didn't go far enough. $20,000, that ain't enough. <sighs> but let me remind all of you who complaining about how far Joe Biden didn't go. You ready for this? That Bill Clinton didn't do nothing about it. Hmm? George W. Bush, what did he do about your student loans? What about Barack Obama? who I love. What about Donald Trump? Did Donald Trump do anything about your student loans? Now, I could be wrong, but I Googled it. <laughs> I did my research, and I, they didn't do anything about student loans. Not anything of note. Joe Biden did. So before we run out and complain about the fact that you didn't get as much money off your student loan or forgiven from your student loan as you had hoped, maybe you ought to stop and give thanks that at least some of it has been forgiven, right? Because, you know, if you owe $100,000 and $20,000 is taken away, $80,000 may still be a lot, but at least it's $20,000 less than when you woke up this morning. Huh, people are something else. You see, what you need to know about this student loan forgiveness program is that if you have a Pell Grant or you had a Pell Grant, as I had to have, you get $20,000 taken off that loan. And most black and brown people cannot go to college without a Pell Grant because we have to borrow money from the government through the banks to afford it. Because we don't come from families and situations where we have money laying around just to send people to college. So this was a very targeted relief. If you're wealthy, right? If you make more than $120,000 a year, you're not eligible for this. This is, a this is targeted to poor people and people of color. And yet there's still people out there complaining that Joe Biden didn't do enough. Okay? So let me add this to the things that Joe Biden has actually done. Okay? Because I'm keeping a list for all you people running around talking about he ain't doing nothing. Look, I got a list. The American Recovery Act, the infrastructure bill, gun reform, climate change, and now the new student loan forgiveness program. Five major pieces of legislation that this man has been able to get out of Congress. So listen, you may not like what Joe Biden is doing. You may not think that he's doing enough. But the one thing you cannot say is that he's just sitting in the White House doing nothing. 
because you show me a president in the last 50 years that had five major pieces of legislation come out that he could sign bills and pass into law. Which one? Which one? Let's try it again. Which one? Because none of the last four had that. None of them. I'm just saying. We're so quick to jump on condemning and critiquing people because they don't come off as animated and all of that, and we think they ain't doing nothing. When the truth of the matter is, Joe Biden is in the White House, he's knocking down some walls. The American Recovery Act, infrastructure bill, gun reform, climate change, and now student loan forgiveness. Don't let people tell you Joe Biden ain't doing nothing. He may not be doing what they like, or he may not be doing enough according to their standards, but to say he ain't doing nothing is a lie. It's a lie. Let me end with this. You see, some people will never be happy no matter what you do. They will never celebrate what it is you're doing because to them it'll never be enough because it's not what they want you to do. And there's some people who will never be proud. They'll never clap. They'll never stand up for you. They'll never validate you. They're not capable of it. They are cynical people who see the world through a narrow window. They have no vision through a narrow window. And they are always going to find the negative and always find something to complain about. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to convince those people that you are doing something, that you are okay, and that you should be celebrated and validated if you want to, and you will be wasting half your life. The truth of the matter is, just do what Joe Biden is doing. Just get some work done. Accomplish your dreams. Build the life that you said you want to have and let other people talk about you while you build. Because when, the, when it's all said and done, when you get to the end of where you're trying to go and you have something to look back and be proud of because you built something, you can look at all the people who had a lot to say and see how they have nothing to stand on. Sometimes you got to, so Aretha Franklin said, rock steady, baby. She meant sometimes you got to stand and just rock back and forth and keep your mouth shut and let people talk. Let them laugh. Let them judge. Let them condemn you, huh? Because greatness is the willingness to look like a fool. Joe Biden's been talked about like a dog. Hmm. But guess what? He's doing some good work. Let's take a break. We'll be right back right after this. Trying to impress people. I'm still on it. I can't let it go. The people will laugh in your face and stab you in your back and then make you miss your destiny and your greatness because you focused on them and you ain't built nothing with your life. Boy, you better build. You hear me? You better, you better, what Booker T. Washington say, drop your buckets where you are, black man, black woman, build. Build. Anyway, let me stop. So, you know, at the end of the week, I get to show you some of the best things that I've seen all week. And today is no different. Play the bumper, Holly. I love, I love an end of the week show because I love to bring you things that we found that I think are absolutely amazing. So, let's take a look at this little flower girl being seen by the father, who is also the groom. He sees his little daughter for the first time, and this is what happens. totally done. I love that so much. 
First of all, it's just cathartic and healthy to see men cry. It really is, especially a black man. And he was so overcome with the love that he had for his daughter. He's like, look at my little princess. That's how you're going to be too, too, when you see your little girl. You know, highly cries. Highly, I bet you, highly is the director for the show. He's in the booth. Highly, I know you've cried at least once or twice looking at your little girls, you know, cute. You just overcome. That's, that's what parenting is about. That's what love is about. Love will do that to you, won't it? It'll make you cry when you're trying to be all macho and strong. <laughs> Her father was done. <laughs> He's my new hero. Anyway, so this is not one of the best things that I've seen all week, but I couldn't resist this story. So let's, let's just run through it. Pastor Matt Chandler, who is the lead pastor of a prominent evangelical church near Dallas, announced that he was indefinitely leaving his congregation after he confessed to his congregation he was having an online relationship with a woman who was not his wife. According to Pastor Chandler, the relationship was not romantic or sexual, but was rather unguarded and unwise, and he fell short of his role as a pastor, and apparently um, Pastor Chandler was DMing a married woman on Instagram. So the elders of the church found out about it, and they did, they did an investigation. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, the church elders did an investigation. And they, can, they commissioned an independent law firm. That's how far they took this. They commissioned an independent law firm to review Chandler's messaging history on social media and his cell phone and email messages. And they determined that the good pastor, who was not good anymore, apparently, he was using language that was inappropriate for a pastor. Mm-hmm. So then Chandler was found out to have violated the internal social media policies of the church. And he failed to meet the standard for elders and pastors for this congregation and for the Southern Baptists, which say that pastors are to be, you ready for this, beyond reproach. Just going to let it sink in. That pastors are to be beyond reproach. And that's why we're doing the story, children, because nobody is beyond reproach, okay? I don't care. I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you run around the church, roll around, shout, dance. I don't care if you can sing, preach, pray. I don't care about all that. You read Greek and Hebrew. I don't, I don't care about nobody is beyond reproach. So my question is, why do we keep holding people up to a standard that nobody can reach? Or at the very least, nobody can sustain because anybody can be holy for a year or six months. And you can definitely be a lot hope, more holier when you're old. And don't nobody want you. <laughs> but that still don't make you holy just because you ain't sleeping with nobody. Because you, you probably mean and surly. Nobody is beyond reproach, people. And yeah, here we go. Holding pastors and leaders up to the standard of trying to be sinless. And I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, affirming what this pastor did. I am in no way saying that what the pastor was doing was right or wrong. I didn't read the messages. I don't know what he was saying. I ain't a member of the church. And I do believe there should be a standard for conduct and behavior. If you are a leader in any organization, there ought to be a standard for conduct and behavior. Let me say it again. I do believe there should be a standard for conduct and behavior. But what do we do when leaders don't meet that standard? What do we do when leaders fail? What do we do when they fall, when they make mistakes? When their humanity and their creature craving comes out. What do we do then? So should the pastor be canceled? Should he be fired? Should he be forgiven? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is the church of Jesus Christ, right? We have heard of him. 
who forgave people who was crucifying him, if Jesus can forgive people who are nailing him to a cross, I don't know how we can't forgive a pastor who's made a moral mistake. I'm just asking questions. That's what I do for a living. I'm not letting Pastor Chandler off the hook either because what the pastor did was probably not just violate the standards of the congregation. He probably also violated the tenets of his own preaching. Because a lot of pastors running around telling other people they got to be holy and other people they got to be saved and other people they got to be perfect and beyond reproach and sinless while the whole time they're behind closed doors doing stuff like this. So Pastor Chandler ain't off the hook either. It's not just that the congregation holds him to a standard that's not realistic. He probably held himself to a standard that's not realistic as well. But, but, but those who live by the sword will die by the sword, meaning that if you preach a standard that you yourself are not living by, the same sword by which you cut other people's moral life will be used to cut yours. And that's what happened here. Now, I've never listened to any man's sermons. I don't know what he preached. But I, I'm, I wager to think that if you are a Southern Baptist, you ain't preaching progressivism. You, you, ain't, you, you ain't preaching that homosexuality is OK. You ain't preaching that abortion is just a medical procedure. If you're a Southern Baptist, as Pastor Chandler is or was. See, I think people should strive to be righteous. I do think that as I strive to be. But I also think that we should have a plan in place for people when they are not. And when they fail, you follow me? Because everybody you know is going to mess up. And everybody you already know has already messed up. And they're going to mess up again. So what's the plan for that? Because we keep preaching holiness and we keep preaching righteousness. And we keep acting surprised when people can't always sustain it. So how about we act like we see what's going on and have a plan in place to restore people when they fall. To make people whole when they become broken. And not just chase people away because they ruined the fantasy that we created in our head. That if you just believe in Jesus and pray three times a day, speak in tongues, that you will never sin again. I don't know what book y'all got that from, but that ain't in the one that I read. So here's my question. If the people that you love and sometimes the people that lead you, maybe even your pastor makes a mistake, how much grace and love do you have for that? Because you loved him when he was lifting up your soul. You loved him when he was making, inspiring you and making you want to fight and live and believe. But now that he's falling, maybe it's your turn to do some of that. We'll be right back <laughs> right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So, end of the week. And when the end of the week comes, I got to show you some of the best things that I've seen all week. How about we play this bumper? Now, some of y'all are going to say, Dr. Sean, you're throwing shade on this one. Dr. Sean, you're throwing shade, and you're not a shade thrower. You're one of the good guys. I know, but I have a little shady side, too. One of the best things that I've seen all week happened on Tuesday when Sarah Palin lost her election. <laughs> it's one of the best things that I've seen all week. Don't get mad. It made my joy reaffirm itself. Sarah Palin was running in a special election to be a member of the United States House of Representatives for the great state of Alaska. And she lost, people. Now, you all remember Sarah Palin, don't you? How you remember her 2006? You know, she was, was 2006 or 8? Which one was it? You, you know when it was. She was the vice presidential nominee. And it turned out that she had never read a book <laughs> or the New York Times. 
She was unaware, uninspiring, uninformed, inarticulate. <laughs> she was all of that, right? She did a whole lot of racist and xenophobic dog whistles to other racists and xenophobes. Talking about Barack Obama palling around with terrorists, Barack Hussein Obama, making, you know, hay about where he was born, a la Donald Trump. She was a birther. And I'm just happy to know that when you're low down and dirty and when you're deceitful and unkind, that you still get to lose, too. Now, y'all may not be happy about it. But I'm happy about it. I need to see that good people can win and bad people, when they're doing wrong, can lose. Sarah Palin lost her election. Who she lose it to? She lost it to Mary Patola. <laughs> Mary, I don't know who you are, but I love you. <laughs> the Demi you're a Democrat. Mary Patola beat Sarah Palin. God bless you, Mary. Because we need to see that when you are decent and when you try and when you care about people, that you can win. And that people who will do anything for money or anything for power, that they don't always win. How can we look our children in the eye and tell them to be decent people if people like Donald Trump and Sarah Palin are always winning? How, how can we say to our kids, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, be a good person, be honorable, have, have self-respect, if people like Sarah Palin and Donald Trump are always winning? Huh? And now do you wonder why I said this is one of the best things that I've seen all week? I should tell Hailey to play the bumper. Play the bumper again, Hailey. See how quick he is. My man, Hailey is on it. Yes, Sarah Palin losing is one of the best things that I've seen all week. I need to see people who are just, blah, not win. See, her form of nativism and xenophobia should not be electable in this country. If we keep electing people like this, we're going to end up in a whole lot of problems. So let me end simply by saying this. Here's the moral lesson. You ready? Eventually, your foolishness will catch up with you. Teach, Dr. Sean. Eventually, your evil and your mendacity is going to catch up to you. So if I were you, I would not make life humble me. Huh? Change what you're doing now so that you can reap what you sow. And what you're getting will be something you actually want. Sarah Palin walked around like, you know, her behind didn't stink. And now life has humbled her with a loss. Don't make life do the same to you. Humble yourself. Be good to people so that what comes back to you is something you can actually live with. See, if you don't do it yourself, life will remind you of who you really are. All right. I got, I got, I got, one, I got just enough time to do one more best things. Let's take a look at, uh, at this video of uh, some black men who are helping a white police officer. Came out the bar, so he, he, he was across the street, man. I need another tourniquet. Yeah. Hurry up, man. Come on, come on. Forget about this one. Hey, go help him. He's in there. Hey, I got it. Hurry up. Hurry up. He already cuffed. Already there, bro. Yeah. Like, sleeping now, but she cuffed up. Now, see that? That is uh, that's quite a video, especially nowadays, right? with the antagonistic and antagonizing relationship that the black community often has with law enforcement in the form of the police. To see a group of black men who looked past all of that and just saw another human being hurt and suffering and wounded and wanted to make sure that he didn't lose his life. See, I know, I know people are a mess. I'm a mess. <laughs> You're a mess too. All of us are messes. But that's not all we are. There is something noble and transcendent and good and honorable about human beings. 
There's something in us that gives us the power to overcome those petty differences, those little complexities of race and gender and class and sexual orientation. Every now and then we rise to the occasion. And these brothers in that video, that's exactly what they did. Shout out to them. Shout out to all of the people in the world, black and white, gay, straight, rich, male, female, poor, who when they have to be better, they find what it takes to get themselves over the wall, to look past the things they don't like about someone and to see themselves in somebody else. Because that's what those guys were doing. They asked themselves one, one question. What would I want somebody to do for me if I was shot sitting on the sidewalk? And that's what they did. I want to invite you to do the same in your own life, okay? You don't have to always like people in order to do what it takes to make sure that somebody's life is saved. Emotionally, psychologically, and sometimes physically. Yeah, I see your greatness. You try to hide it. You, know what? you don't want nobody to know you got it. But I see it when you ain't looking. It shines right on through. Let's take a break. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for everything that we just got through doing, all the best things that we've seen all week in the headlines. Well, I love an end-of-the-week show because uh, we get to cover a lot of ground, talk about a lot of different subjects, okay? All right. How about we do some Ask Dr. Sean? Play the bumper, Holly. All right, Ask Dr. Shard, people, is where I answer your questions. You guys send me great videos, you DM me, you email me, and I have the great privilege of being able to answer your questions. And I think we have a video, so let's take a look at it. Yo, Dr. Sean, this is your boy Tim from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm currently sleeping with two friends. I'm torn between the two. I need some advice. <laughs> Oh, okay. So you're sleeping with two friends. Um, so are they both your friends or are they friends with each other too? You got a lot going on, okay? So, But I have a remedy for you because I have a way for you not to not be torn. I have a way for you not to be torn and to not even have to make the decision. You ready for this? Tell both of them the truth. There you go. Tell both of them the truth about what you're doing with both of them. And I promise you, either y'all will all have a very interesting conversation that's very progressive. And you know what I mean. Or one of the two of them is going to make that decision for you. I'm just saying go by way of the truth. Just start telling the truth. And you and you and you will not be you will not be torn and you will not have to make a decision. Because I promise you, if, the, if these are black women... <laughs> The way I know black women, one of them is going to make the decision for you. And then, you know, you get to not have to struggle with uh, being with two people because one of them won't want to be with you. Let me give you some advice because, you know, you look like you're a little older, you know. You, you know, this should probably be the time when you're settling into something, right? I mean, we're not, you know, I'm putting myself in it too. We're not, we're not 20 anymore, right? We're not 22, we're not 30. You don't look 30. I mean, we're, 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 we're not old. You're, you don't look old. God knows I don't look old. You know what I'm saying? I look good for my age. But 
at some point you got to settle in and take yourself seriously and honor and respect women or whoever it is you love. At some point you got to say, you know what? You know, I've been doing this for however long I've been doing it, and I, I really would like to have somebody who's, who is as committed to me as I am to them. You may say, well, Dr. Sean, I'm not the kind of person, I'm not into monogamy, I'm not into that. Well, that's fine. I'm not knocking that at all. Well, then if you're not into monogamy and that's not who you are, you're pansexual, whatever it is, whatever the word is for whatever you are, then have enough courage to tell the people you're dealing with who you are. Tell them who you are and then let them make a decision as to whether or not they want to be with you. But don't say that I'm not into monogamy and I'm into free and loose love. And then you don't tell the people you're sleeping with that that's who you are. I just wager you to think when it's all said and done, when you multiply, divide, factor, <laughs> that at the end of the day, at some point, most people want to be cared about. We want to be loved. We want to have someone there for us, especially as we get to the evening of our years. And as you get older, I'm hoping you get to the place that you grow in wisdom and not just sexual appetite. Because just because you feel it doesn't mean you should do it. You see, you got to be more strategic in your thinking and in your behavior and see where your life is going and make decisions based upon that. Good luck. All right. Recently, uh, someone sent me this message. They DM. This was DM. So recently, my boyfriend told me that even though he loves me, he's no longer attracted to me, but he still wants us to be together. My brain is telling me that he will break up with me as soon as he finds someone else. But my heart is telling me to stick it out and to hope for the best. What should I do? Well, listen. Um, I think it would be interesting to find out. What do you think about this, two, three? To find out why it is he wants to still be with you. Because most guys, if they're not attracted to you, they don't want you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what's going on? What's the dynamics that would make him want to still be with you even though physical attraction is not the thing that's keeping him there? Now, if you're paying his cell phone bill and his rent and his car note, then I see why he still wants to be with you. He wants to be, be with all the benefits. But if you're not providing any benefits and he says he's no longer physically attra- or sexually attracted to you but still wants to be with you, then you might actually have an extraordinary human being. You might actually have someone who is able to still be connected to someone and in love with someone even though the love is not physically, whatever, oriented or rooted. I think you need to ask him why it is he would still want to be with you even though he's not attracted to you, assuming that there are no benefits that you're providing. But then I also think that you ought to ask yourself, how do you feel about being with someone who's not attracted to you? I couldn't do that. Because if you don't think I'm cute, <laughs> I can't be with you. <laughs> but maybe you can do it. So ask yourself some questions, ask him some questions, but take it slow, okay? Get all the information you need and deserve to make a decision that's going to bless your life. And don't think about him. Think about you, all right? All right. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Great end of the week show. I'll be back next week. Yes, yes, yes. Y'all have a wonderful rest of the time. Be good to each other, okay? Be kind. Be kind. I love you. Can't help it. <laughs>